0: This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Justin Jamal, I'm Jaschan Nam. And I'm Jamal Dajani. Jamal, we have a great show today. There's so much to cover. It's gonna be a little bit more Palestine and probably Jordan focused today, although we will touch on the pandemic in some interesting ways. Uh, just for our listeners and viewers, you know, about 20% of people in the United States have gotten at least one vaccination shot so far. So we're making some progress here in the U.S. Unfortunately, the mutated variants, especially the UK variant, is spreading pretty much out of control. So we're at a race, Jamal, between getting vaccinated and the mutations that are coming out. And we're learning that one out of four Americans still have vaccine hesitancy. But with that in mind, it's kind of interesting. There's been a lot going on in the Arab world, especially in the United States, perhaps top one of top two allies among the in the Arab world, Jamal. Jordan went through kind of a, it's not fair to call it a, a light coup d'etat, not even close, but the king of Jordan arrested his uh, half-brother or put him under house arrest with 20 other people. And uh, it's kind of an interesting story that hasn't made it much in the mainstream media.
1: Yeah, I mean, it it made it to uh, the mainstream media, but we didn't see a lot of uh, analysis. And of right. course, uh, you know, I wouldn't be too shy to say that this was an attempted coup attempt. We don't know. I mean, I mean, that's the question that's pretty much the title of our show, whether this was a royal family feud or an attempted coup, because we don't have uh, all the details. We've uh, had on the show uh, award-winning journalist Dahoud Kutab, uh, and uh, we'll watch him in a few few seconds and then we'll talk about it a little bit more. But first, let's go to journalist Dahoud Kutab. Former Crown Prince Hamza was put on house arrest on Saturday and warned to cease talking to disaffected tribal leaders and others in Jordan who complain about the kingdom's current state of affairs. According to some reports, at least 15 others accused of undermining security in Jordan were also arrested. It was announced recently that Prince Hassan, the brother of former King Hussein and the uncle of King Abdullah and Prince Hamza, had helped settle this rare public dispute. Are King Abdullah's troubles over? Is this just a family dispute? And are there regional players trying to destabilize the Hashemite kingdom of Jordan? Joining us uh, from Amman, Jordan, award-winning journalist and former Ferris Professor at Princeton University, Dawood Kutab, welcome again to Arab Talk, Dawood. Thank you, Jamal. So Jordan is hailed for its stability in the Middle East. This latest rift between two brothers unnerved many. How serious is the situation?
2: Well, it's not. Uh, it's not a joke. It is uh, truly a, a family feud, uh, albeit a royal family feud that includes the king and his stepbrother. And uh, as you said, thank God, it's been settled by uh, the mediation of their uncle. But uh, uh, as you said, Jordan is uh, uh, strength. Is its stability. It's a pillar of Jordan's uh, continuity and development. And any. Attempt to shake this stability uh, brings to, to point the entire Rosendetra of Jordan, the whole Jordan uh, success story is because it's stable country. So if that stability taken, it uh, it's a problem. That's why I predicted it would be a very short uh, crisis because Jordan cannot tolerate a long crisis between the king and his stepbrother.
1: There was a difference in the tone of uh, initially with uh, of the tone of Prince Hamza in the uh, video that went to the BBC and then there was another uh, recording uh, that uh, he was saying that uh, and I'm quoting here no one can stop me from talking to my people and then in the letter itself where he pretty much renewed his uh, allegiance to his brother. Uh, what caused and the, the Crown
2: Prince, Jamal and the Crown Prince? And the,
1: yeah, yeah, and and the Crown Prince. So, what caused this? Uh, what caused this uh, change so quickly?
2: Well, I mean, the 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 problem was started by uh, the uh, the security forces, probably uh, uh, with some direction from the palace. Uh, and it ended when they climbed down a tree and the, the king assigned Prince Hassan to resolve the problem. So I think the, the letter that he signed does not include that he will not talk to people. So he got what he wanted, which is a continued freedom to talk to whoever he wants. And I think uh, the country got what it wanted, which is the return to stability and uh, normal, normal governance.
1: So, you know, uh, some names were thrown around, and I wanted to kind of uh, have you help us dispel some of the rumors. Uh, You know, Sharif Hassan bin Zaid, he's a member of the uh, royal family, and Basim Awadallah, uh, who was director of King Abdullah's office in 2006, were also arrested. Some uh, reports uh, have been linking them to the UAE and Saudi Arabia and other countries, Are these just uh, rumors, or do you feel that there were foreign uh, regional or even just foreign intervention that kind of uh, created this dispute?
2: Well, you know, this case is under investigation, Jamal, and uh, there is a gag order against uh, any information about what's happening in the investigation. I personally don't know anything about the investigation, so I can talk because I don't know anything. But I don't uh, think that there is really any serious external effect. Uh, Saudi Arabia was one of the first countries to speak out in support of King King Abdullah, the crown prince MBS called the king and called the, prime, the crown prince. A delegation today is visiting Jordan uh, to ensure that the Saudis have nothing to do with this case. The Emirates is the same. So I don't think that there is an, you know, an international community at large always sent uh, telegrams of support, so I don't think that there is a problem here. I think the, uh, I think the issue is whether there is any serious uh, information which we don't know, or whether this was part of um, an elaborate scheme that had you know long-term expectations. We don't know. That really we don't know. Uh, but there are a lot of people who are skeptical about this uh, this uh, connection because they've never seen the prince ever with the. Bassem Awadallah or Sharif Hassan. They don't really, they've not been involved in politics in the last 10 years or 15 years. So that whole thing seems a bit uh, unclear.
1: Adding, to, and I, want, I don't want to put you under the gun here, but adding to this uh, string of rumors, you had the incident uh, when the uh, uh, crown prince, uh, uh, Hussein, who wanted to go visit Al-Aqsa Mosque, And then, uh, of course, he didn't go because uh, Israel wouldn't allow him to bring his security with him. And then in retaliation to this, uh, 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 Benjamin Netanyahu was on his way or was about to fly to Jordan in a helicopter to go to the UAE for a photo op. And then he was prevented from flying there. So now we see in this midst the uh, the Israel equation. Uh, do you see anything uh, from that end?
2: Again, we don't know. We we have not uh, had any information. The um, Deputy Prime Minister Ayman Safadi said that there was a phone call made to the wife of uh, Prince uh, uh, um, Hamza. And uh, the person calling from uh, Europe offered to, uh, to provide them with a plane and, and a home in Europe. Now it turned out that the person who made the phone call came out. He lives in Europe, and he's a former Israeli. Uh, some people said he was Mossad, and not Mossad. None of this is known. We don't know, and so you know, without real knowledge, uh, it's all speculation. But I personally really uh, put a big question mark. I mean, the phone call was made after the house arrest was made, and it was a you know, according to the guy who made the phone call, he said it was a simple offer to uh, you know to help the the family but the fact that he was a former israeli was not very good optics
1: <laughs> tell us uh, a little bit about now the relations between israel and jordan because it seems that uh, it has soured quite a bit uh, recently
2: yeah things uh, i wouldn't say the relation between israel and jordan i would say the relation between King Abdullah and Netanyahu has been very sour. It's been sour for the last so many years, and the king has refused to take a phone call or meet with Netanyahu. The Jordanian officials, including the foreign minister and others, have met with the blue and white team of Benny Gantz and Ashkenazi, the foreign minister and the defense minister, but they continue to refuse to meet with Netanyahu. And Netanyahu has you know, tried to, uh, to put his fingers in this case by you know, making stupid claims, sorry to say, but you know, I don't think people take Netanyahu seriously anymore.
1: Moving to another topic, since we are on, on these kind of topics about uh, the leaders of Jordan and now in Palestine, Palestinian officials on Monday insisted that uh, President Mahmoud Abbas is in good health and his trip to Germany is for routine medical uh, checkups. First, uh, is President Abbas in good health and will his absence impact preparations for holding the parliamentary and presidential elections scheduled for May 22nd and in late July, respectively?
2: Look, they they say that two years ago he did an operation and he's doing a checkup, you know. I don't know how much I would give credence to that. Uh, the fact that he had to fly by helicopter rather than normal way of of going. Now, of course, there's COVID and the, the bridge and, ah. and so on. So I would be a bit worried, uh, but, you know, he's 85, 86 years old. He's not a young man, so... Um, but elections are still on track. There is no reason for the elections not to take place
1: so you you actually believe that this is not another uh, you know false start up because this happened in the past. Uh, elections were put in place, they were announced they were we publicized. Never have. we've never gone
2: this far. no we've never had a you know gone this far of a presidential decree announcements of delegations and so on. So, no, I don't think that this is a game. No, this is a serious effort to have elections. And I think if they're cancelled, it would be a big problem for, for the Palestinian and the Palestinian Authority if they would cancel. It would be a big uh, blow to their credibility.
1: So, tell us about the elections. I mean, you have now for the first time a kind of uh, people are breaking away from Fateh, forming their own... Uh, coalitions and then at the same time I was looking at there are very kind of uh, strict uh, rules uh, who can run and who cannot run and if you served in the government, uh, you must resign first before you run. as you know right here in the United States uh, you can run for elections and then you resign if you win. But now uh, people have to resign first which means they, they lose their uh, income. And also um, there is age restrictions and all kinds of restrictions. I mean, is this because, you know, it said the elections are going to happen, but it, they don't seem to be in a way serious to allow for any challenge for the status quo. Well,
2: the age issue uh, is 28, which actually is better than many countries. Um, and they were hoping to bring it down to 25. They didn't. Um, The resignation is not new. Uh, What is new is that uh, your resignation must be accepted. So it's not only that you have to resign, but your leader or whatever has to accept your resignation, which means, as you said, the resignation will have to be uh, complete. Um, I think, you know, to be fair, I think they're trying to, um, to make sure the people who run are serious about running and they are going to be dedicated time and so on. And uh, still, we have 36 different uh, lists that are running. And you have to pay $20,000 to run. Mm-hmm. Not, you know, 10000 is not, uh, you don't get it back. So um, it's, not a, it's not a joke. And yet many people are thirsty for having a voice. And that's good news. And I think it's very positive for Palestinians.
1: So assuming everything goes uh, as planned and uh, the elections are held, and, uh, and uh, talking about now about the presidential elections in July, who do you feel uh, is emerging as a real challenge to President Mahmoud Abbas?
2: One guy, Marwan Barghouti. He's in jail. Guy, he's in jail, but he's, uh, uh, his um, wife, is number two on the Nasser Qudway, a former Fatah uh, Central Committee member. And um, it's a very interesting uh, list of, of civil society, uh, people, independent people. And uh, how they will do in the legislative elections will be important. And whether Fatah will uh, nominate Abu Mazin, Mahmoud Abbas, or Marwa al will be a big question mark because that will determine a lot of the future of the Palestinian movement. Um, the fact that Abu Mazen might be sick actually might play into the hands of Marwan Barghouti because nobody else has the, um, uh, the cre- credibility with people in the street in Marwan. Now you are right, he's in jail and there's different discussions whether there should be a, an amendment to the law that allows for president and a vice president so that in case no matter one is in jail, there would be a vice president who would run things until he is out of jail. So, um, yeah, things are complicated, and uh, of course, the issue of Jerusalem is very complicated. And today, the Israelis uh, banned uh, a meeting, uh, a preliminary meeting about uh, elections in Jerusalem, arrested a woman, and then released her. So, um, it's not clear how the Israelis will react. The Oslo uh, Accords make it very clear that. Palestinians in Jerusalem are allowed to run in the elections, but the Israelis have always looked uh, badly towards anybody in the united Jerusalem, which is their unilateral unification of Jerusalem, to run for the elections.
1: Well, things uh, are going to get even worse for Palestinians and for Jerusalemites with the composition of the Israeli government, which has uh, drifted to the far, far right. Now you have uh, Kahanists, who are uh, going to be in the Knesset, sworn in in the Knesset. So uh, how do you think um, any uh, even idea about working this out, A, if Marwan Barghouti wins, um, Israel is not going to let him out, and then two, how will they relate to any Palestinian government? Going well, forward,
2: the, a lot of the members of Knesset were Kahanists before. There is actually an official Kahanist uh, list, so I'm not. Uh, I don't pay much attention to that. the The problem is that uh, it's not clear who's going to form the next government, and uh, it seems that the very small Arab Palestinian party of Islamic tendency has a has a chance of being a kind of a kingmaker, and that's quite interesting to see how they this will align with the fact that, as you said, there is also a small but very vocal racist party that is going to be in the, in the Israeli Knesset. Um, you know, Palestinians have to work and worry about themselves. They need to be unified, and now they're divided. So I would, you know, advise to, to pay more attention to a national unity than to worry about the Israelis for the time being.
1: Daoud Kutab, thank you for talking to us. Alan Jamal, hi to San Francisco.
0: That's award-winning journalist Daoud Kutab giving us his analysis of the, well, we'll have to wait and see, right, if it was a true uh, coup d'etat or not. What we do know is that there's a lot of interesting things going on in the royal family. And uh, this battle between Uh, The king and his half-brother has been going on for some time, it seems. Yeah, and then uh, just
1: to uh, give you an update and give our listeners an update, since uh, we spoke to Dawood Kutab, uh, King Abdullah of Jordan uh, issued a statement, you know, um, and uh, he said, uh, and I'm quoting, nothing can come close to the shock and the pain and anger I felt as a brother and head of the Hashemite family and as a leader to this dear people. You know, this is a statement that was issued on on Wednesday, basically four days after Prince Hamza was detained. uh, King Abdullah said that his brother, and I'm quoting here, was at home under my protection. You know, you could interpret this as at home You know, under my protection and that the former heir to the Jordanian throne had offered him his loyalty. So uh, these belated remarks did uh, little to me, to tell you the truth, to mask the most serious public rift that I've witnessed uh, in the ruling family uh, during the past 20 years. There were no clarifications of, uh, or official clarifications of what really happened, and uh, a lot of talk. and And I'm leaning that way of foreign government intervention that backed the coup. And then, and this is something, and even uh, I think the Houthi tab they didn't want to go too much to talk right. about it. Yes, uh, at the time, I mean, we're speaking to him, uh, and he was in Amman, Jordan. But listen. Um, you know, King Abdullah has, has uh, of course, followed came to rule the country after the passing of his, his father, King Hussein. And at the time uh, after he became king, uh, his half-brother Hamza, Prince Hamza, became the crown prince. And then right. after that, a while after that, he decided to remove him and appoint his son, Uh, Prince uh, Hussein. And we haven't heard much uh, from uh, Prince Hamza. In 2018, he issued a criticism that saying there was uh, corruption in the country, but really very, very little. He had very little to say. And I find the timing uh, not coincidental, to say the least. A, just before this happened, yes, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, the relations between King Abdullah and uh, Benjamin Netanyahu uh, deteriorated very fast. Sign-
0: significantly, right.
1: And the late- latest incident, the crown prince, his son, uh, crown prince uh, Hussein, was supposed to fly to Jerusalem to Al-Aqsa Mosque. And he didn't go because the Israelis wouldn't let him bring his own security, even right. though... King Abdullah is in charge of the compound. I mean, it's still it's under Jordanian, basically sovereignty. Israel does not does not recognize this, but right. So he didn't go there. And then, following to this, Benjamin Netanyahu was to take a helicopter to Amman, and then hop on a private plane that was sent to him to go for a to fly to the UAE for an auto up and for the very first time I can recall other times uh, that uh, the Jordanian government did not give permission for well, the helicopter it was to fly delayed over.
0: It, it was technically the way they framed yeah. it is that they delayed it until you know unfortunately the ceremony was to take place but it's a big slap in the face to Netanyahu from the king then we find out and
1: and I don't know how much um, you know i can put uh, Trust in this, but a, 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 a so-called—I'm going to say a so-called Israeli businessman. His name is Roy, I think, Shapnik uh, or something like this. Right. Offered to fly out Prince Hamza, you know, to safety. <laughs> All of a sudden, and and then he says, "Oh, and by the way, I'm not a member of the Mossad. I'm not. Oh. I'm not part of the Mossad, but." You know, we find out that he actually, I mean, these are communications that were intercepted. So this is where I see the Israeli meddling uh, hand. We also cannot discount the meddling of Saudi Arabia, even though uh, Saudi Arabia categorically uh, denied any involvement and described these claims, uh, uh, you know, nonsense. And the Saudi foreign minister, Faisal Ben Farhan. Flew to Amman on Wednesday to meet the uh, Deputy Prime Minister Safari, basically to say to express complete solidarity with Jordan's King Abdullah and his government. So, a lot is. But you know, Jamal, about this.
0: It smells funny. There's something that smells funny about this because I think you're exactly right. The timing is very interesting. All of the all of the additional information you put forth was interesting. I thought Prince Hamza's videotaped, you know, plea to the world, uh, basically to summarize, you know, again what uh, the prince said in his video message. To uh, I'm paraphrasing, basically saying how how can how can it be a problem if all I'm doing is just voicing gentle thoughtful criticism about some of the problems that we have in Jordan right now and yet he's under house arrest 20 people were arrested that were close to the prince so this is kind of a big deal too Jamal and of course the israeli connection can never be under underestimated in their chronic attempt to destabilize you know the region in general so i still think you're right there's a lot more to the story that we we don't know and uh, I'm sure we're going to find out more.
1: Just in my opinion, it has all the markings of a foreign intervention.
0: Well, out, it, outside the of the of is, it, outside of the Israelis and the Saudis, do you, do you do you suspect anyone else? Do you suspect a UAE or Bahrain to be involved in this at all?
1: No, those are those are the big players, really uh, regionally. And I I suspect the Israelis more than the Saudis, but it does not mean that both of these uh, countries did not cooperate on this. The timing is very suspicious. It is. You know, this is a time when Jordan is suffering from COVID, lockdowns, high unemployment. And so they feel whoever whoever plotted with uh, Prince Hamza I mean, yeah, sure. You could criticize your own brother. You could criticize the government, but the timing when the country is, uh, you know, it's very weak in, in in essence to kind of come up with this plot. Uh,
0: but you some people and some people would argue Jamal that that's the best time to plot a coup when the government is weak. And well, that's
1: why that's why I said you plot the coup, but you but Prince Hamza. Uh, wouldn't have been able to do it alone.
0: No, not at all. He yeah, would need both, outside. Both he would need outside
1: financially. Outside. So that's that's where I say um, you know it's, I'm leaning more towards that. This is not just like a passing family feud, and this was more of an attempted uh, coup that failed.
0: Well, I I tend to agree with that analysis, Jamal, and I think that when will when will uh, the king, King Abdullah, realize that his so-called peace treaty with the Israelis actually means very little to nothing, and that you actually have a peace partner who is attempting to overthrow your 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 leadership in your country should send a very strong message to uh, King Abdullah. I'm hoping he'll take it seriously.
1: You're listening to Arab Talk on KPO San Francisco 89.5 FM and on the topic of Israel, just <laughs> you know, the chairman of the far-right religious uh, Zionist Unbelievable. party, Unbelievable. Uh, lawmaker Bezalel Smotrich, you know, uh, wrote on Wednesday that he'll make sure that Palestinians, he calls, he doesn't call Palestinians Palestinians, he says Arabs, 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 who don't recognize the Jewish people, the legitimate rule over the land of Israel, will not remain here. I mean, this is not the first time, and he said that, by the way, his comments came on the eve of the Holocaust Remembrance Day. And of course, uh, Smotrich was born in Haspin, this is a uh, settlement in the occupied Golan Heights.
0: Exactly. To our listener, exactly.
1: And grew up in the illegal colonial settlement of Bet El, uh, in the West Bank. He's a disciple of Meir Kahana, and we've talked about Meir Kahana last week, and all his disciples now, who are ending uh, with seats in the Israeli Knesset or or Parliament. You know, I mean, this, this just gives you a picture of what. The what government we are looking at and what leadership we're looking at in Israel.
0: Well, that's exactly right, Jamal. And I think uh, along the theme of weak governments right now, we 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 are putting this in the context of what we spoke about last week. Is that the Israeli government right now is extremely weak? They're facing a fifth possible election. They're unable to form a government. The president of, uh, uh, the Israeli government, not, not Prime Minister Netanyahu, but the president has anointed and given Benjamin Netanyahu an opportunity to form a government, he's got a timeline to do that, and it's unlikely he'll be able to do that, at which point the opposition will be given a chance if he's unable to do it. But Benjamin Net- Netanyahu has also started his corruption trial in the midst of all this. So you could make a very similar argument that the far right is extending or attempting to extend its extremist ideas, its Kind of ethnic cleansing ideas as much as possible, while Benjamin Netanyahu is facing all these kind of uh, difficulties, both in terms of his foreign policy, which is a disaster as well as all the domestic uh, problems and uh, on top of it, it looks like the Israelis are uh, having problems with their Pfizer vaccine Jamal so things are are a mess for the Netanyahu government right now. this could be one of the weakest points he's been at in many years. Now, we know we can never count Benjamin Netanyahu out, but he's in a very weakened position right now. I don't know if he's in a weakened
1: position. Actually, I I might disagree with you. I mean, uh, he's like, uh, he looks weak because of of the court case, but it looks like he might be the only option to form a government, or he will push... The country to another election. I mean, he has managed to play this game, and right. and he knows his supporters and he knows his audience. People like uh, this guy, you know, uh, who by the way, um, uh, Smotrich also. Um, I think in two thousand fifteen, he went right on the Knesset floor scolding the interior minister and others because he doesn't didn't want them didn't want Israelis to sell properties to Palestinian Israeli citizens because there was right. like a whole uh, controversy going on in uh, in Maalot, in northern, uh, that's a northern Israeli town where, right. uh, where right. someone, uh, a Palestinian Israeli, wanted to buy a home and he was denied and others were denied. So. So he's courting people like him, uh, Kahanists, people who advocate the the expulsion of Palestinians. Um, Those, you know, I mean, as long as he keeps doing this. Yeah, but Jamal,
0: we also know that he needs the Arab bloc to, to seal the deal. Yes and no. I
1: mean, he needs them now, but uh, you also can have someone from the center, or if there is a center or the left, join his coalition, and then they will marginalize them. I mean, yes, he needs them now, but you know there might be a shift. What I'm seeing is really the strengthening of the extremists. This is yes. not to say that the current government is not extreme, or past com- governments are not extreme. But, but this is even like more extreme. It's getting worse, and so right. he basically wants to build a very ra- far right coalition, like the most that the country has ever seen, and that will this will ensure his uh, ensure him to stay in power, basically.
0: Well, I think. Uh... You know, we can, he's not somebody that can ever be counted out. I mean, he is, you know, just like people were saying, you know, be careful not to count out Donald Trump even after he lost the election. We have to say the same thing about Benjamin Netanyahu. Just along the lines of Benjamin Netanyahu, Jamal, and uh, COVID and the Israeli situation, I read that story Which blew my mind, because despite the fact that Israel practices a very virulent form of medical apartheid, which is, you know, illegal, immoral, unethical, where they will only vaccinate people who happen to be of, you know, one religion and not the other, it's really ignoring 6 million people for vaccination is is a grotesque form of medical apartheid at a time when they were getting these free and deep discounted Pfizer vaccines. We just read this week that the Israelis decided not to pay any of their bills to uh, Pfizer for additional vaccines. It's kind of interesting. That's right. So
1: Pfizer uh, halted to the shipment of 700,000 COVID vaccines, which were scheduled to arrive uh, on Sunday. Right okay, because Israel failed to pay the last uh, I think uh, for the last two and a half million doses shipped there. So they already received two and a half million. they didn't pay for those. They sent them the bill, reminders, pending payments, etc. and they totally ignored uh, sending the payment. Uh, and so now they said, you know we're not going to send the, the remainder. And uh, Pfizer responded by saying, you know, uh, you know the, if you send us the money, we will, we will send you you know, uh, the remaining uh, uh, shipment. And it's kind of funny because I've been reading in the Israeli media and uh, the Israeli media outlet, Army Radio was circulating reports that Pfizer staff were calling the country a banana republic <laughs> commenting on its political instability and uh, well you know, that's probably being that's to,
0: probably being kind.
1: I mean yeah of course Pfizer and moderna for that matter and others did not take into consideration calls by many human rights organizations to basically hold shipments or to put pressure on Israel to vaccinate the remainder of the population that falls under its control. And we're talking about people who live between the Mediterranean Sea and the Jordan River. So so and that I'm, I don't feel sympathetic to Kaiser for not getting paid because they're making this issue totally a commercial and, 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 and it's about profit and whatever, rather than, uh, you know, humanitarian. I would have felt more sympathetic if Pfizer said, hey, we're not going to send you more vaccines if you don't vaccinate those poor Palestinians who live in the West Bank, well, 100 yards away from Israeli settlements.
0: Exactly, Jaman Listen, Pfizer, Moderna, all of these biotech companies were warned, you know, to about the medical apartheid that Israel practices, They were uh, encouraged on the international world stage, including by the WHO, to not practice medical apartheid and to vaccinate everybody that they are responsible for under international law. Of course, the Israelis ignored it, made disparaging comments. And the thing that I find so hypocritical, and I I don't feel sorry for uh, Pfizer either because of this, look at all the press that good press that the Israeli Medical Society and their vaccine plan garnered throughout the world, Jamal. They were getting, you know, they were be held up as a model of the way to vaccinate populations and get this COVID uh, pandemic under control. They were you know, celebrated and lauded in the media, mostly in the United States. I don't know, to to the extent, not as much in Europe, but they were held up as this model program. And, of course, you know, they didn't look beyond the Hasbara and, uh, you know, the thin screen of their medical apartheid. And now, of course, Pfizer's going to pay the price. If Pfizer thinks that it's going to get paid... You know, they better think twice about this. And if Pfizer had any kind of moral authority or ethical authority, they would say, just as you said, we will send you the vaccine after you have paid for it and after you agree to vaccinate the entire population that you are ethically, morally and legally responsible for vaccinating the entire population of historic Palestine. I don't think it's going to happen, Jamal
1: also going to happen and that's the sad thing about it they made it they made this whole issue about money and about profit and about payment rather than uh, about humanity Uh, we have a few minutes left uh yeah
0: i want to make sure i want to make sure we cover one thing really quick jamal by the way uh you you know that the United States is going to release 150 million dollars to uh, UNRWA for Palestinian refugee support. I don't know if you heard about that, but that was just announced yesterday. Secretary of State Blinken announced that he believed that it was in the best interests of United States policy to re, uh, uh, you know, to you know, let that money go because you know the Trump administration. Uh, closed down 150 million dollars of money that was already earmarked for the for UNRWA for basically humanitarian food, shelter, basic necessities of life for Palestinian refugees in Gaza, and the West Bank. That was shut down last year, causing mass, you know, um, humanitarian problems. Looks like the Biden administration has overturned that, and of course, uh, the Israeli ambassador made a very Uh, uh, you know, nasty comments saying, you know, it's too bad that the Biden administration is making anti-Semitic decisions against the state of Israel for releasing that money. So
1: so these decisions, what he's referring to is to provide some health care to Palestinians, to provide food to children in Gaza. I mean... Exactly. It's so... I read that. And also, of of course, now uh, members of Congress are... um, giving Biden some resistance i don't know all the details how many of them and how many but this is not uh, going to sail through very quickly i mean i mean the two things now israel has criticized uh, the biden administration on one is rapprochement uh, with iran to restart the nuclear uh, you exactly. know negotiations and the other ones Giving, giving money to the, a U.N. agency who basically uh, houses and feeds and provides education and, and medical addresses medical needs of refugees. That, those are the two things that they are in disagreement.
0: Well, on. because they, they believe that su- the, the, the authority that the United Nations, which is legally mandated to provide support to Palestinian refugees that were displaced... In 1948 and 1967, there's a legal, let alone moral author you know, responsibility to take care of those refugees. Supporting them is being called anti-Semitic. And as attempting to reestablish diplomatic ties around a nuclear deal with Iran is also seen as anti-Semitic. So my question for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and for the Biden administration, are you going to sit back and just take these ridiculous criticisms? Are What are you going to do about it? And you're right. I mean, two Republican congressmen, one from Idaho and one from, I don't know, some other state, you know, who are looking to get reelected, obviously, are the ones who have put up the biggest fight against the U.N., uh, the release of this money to the uh, United Nations, uh, refugee support agency. So, you know, we'll see what happens.
1: Yeah, which we should add that this is pittance compared to the three and a half billion dollars uh, Israel receives Plus, and over yeah. over Plus. ten billion dollars in uh, loan guarantees, uh, etc. You know, uh, I want to get to the last story uh, just because we talked about this last week and we're still watching the horrible images and the trial and the testimonies and witnesses, uh, you know, about the murder of George Floyd. It's and unbelievable. I cannot, I cannot unbelievable. ignore the fact that the U.S. media is ignoring, making any connection of the tactics that uh, the uh You know, the Minnesota police... uh, Minneapolis police, yeah. I mean, sorry, Minneapolis police used to murder George Floyd.
0: Yeah, they're Israeli tactics.
1: These are... Because people are putting all these images all over, you know, with uh, juxtaposing what happened to George Floyd with Israeli police and soldiers kneeling on Palestinian necks. I mean, it's
0: all over. Children's necks, children's necks.
1: And also, uh, the fact that officers from uh, the U.S. police force uh, basically received training in uh, anti-terror tactics from Israeli law enforcement officers, at least 100 Minnesota police officers attended a 2012 conference hosted by the Israeli consulate in Chicago. And this was the second time that they've done something like this. There, uh, supposedly, they've learned the violent techniques used by Israeli forces as they terrorize Palestinians, you know, under the guise of uh, security.
0: You know what, Jamal, when you look at those images, those juxtaposed images of Derek Chauvin uh, kneeling on George Floyd for nine and a half minutes and murdering him, and there's no other way to talk about it as murder, you know, first degree, in my humble opinion, first degree murder, and you juxtapose that against the long uh you know, multi-decade uh, tactics and techniques that the Israeli military and police have used against Palestinian children uh, and adults, basically everybody who gets arrested, you can't help but make the connection. It's not just a visual connection that you have, uh, the, you know, Derek Chauvin, uh, use an Israeli tactic on George Floyd. Uh, but there are other similarities. You were talking about, you well, know, ch- well, children and children adults who are not resisting Jamal, these are not, and George Floyd was not resisting. If you look at the nine and a half painful minutes of his slow, torturous death, he was not resisting, and yet the knee stayed on George Floyd's neck. You see the same process that the Israeli military uses. It's a form of torture and abuse, not to restrain, but to create and to intimidate and to create fear and potential death in the people that they're attempting to uh, subdue. I I agree with you. I can't imagine, and I don't understand why this isn't making, well, we know why, but we need to encourage and, you know, really do something to make sure that the media well, makes this well, connection. Well, look,
1: in, in, in an investigation, and we know that, especially in those prolonged trials, I mean, I think the first televised trial that I've attended was, uh, you know, uh, O.J. Simpson, you know? Right. And then you learn something that they start, uh, the investigators start digging every aspect of the trial. Some, some, some evidence leads to, Nowhere others leads somewhere. Right. This has not been a question when Amnesty International reported that hundreds of police uh, from Florida, they named them, New Jersey, Pennsylvania, California, Arizona, Connecticut, New York, Massachusetts, North Carolina, Georgia, Washington State, Washington D.C. You know, all over the country, all over the country have been receiving these kind of trainings. Thousands more have been have trained by Israeli forces who have come. To the U.S. to host similar events to the one held in Minneapolis, the one I referred to earlier, and according to their report, that uh, uh, according you know that many of these trips were taxpayer funded, which That's should right. be also of interest to in taxpayers. Right. Others were privately funded. We know since two thousand two that the Anti Defamation League and the, the American Jewish Committee's Project Interchange and the Jewish Institute for National Security Affairs have paid for police chiefs, assistant chiefs, and captains to train in Israel. That's and right. not only in Israel, but also in the occupied Palestinian territories in the West Bank. They've been, they went to, to settlements to train inside settlements. I just cannot help not to think why there is a total cover-up and not trying to make a link to say that these tactics maybe be that uh, police officers either have received training or watched videos of, have somehow made their way to be used right here in the United States against civilians.
0: Well, we're, we are going to pursue this story, Jamal, to the extent that we can on Arab Talk. We have been talking about this um, you know uh this form of abuse and torture and tactics that the Israeli military and police have brought upon the United States uh police departments and law enforcement organizations, and we know that ever since nine eleven that the coordination and training between the Israeli military and police departments and these U.S. departments of uh, law enforcement that you mentioned have only increased. We, we have to dig into this.
1: And racial profiling at airports. At exactly.
0: Exactly. The racial profiling, the behavioral techniques of managing people, and, and all of that are Israeli techniques. And, you know, the, the grotesque thing about it, Jamal, it's an abuse of power, of course. There there's no there's no doubt about it. But we have to keep in mind that the Israelis are also making money on this. So they're getting huge contracts, they're making money on this, they're getting Hasbada points from this, talking about how they're, you know, helping train US police departments. But what has happened in the last 20 years, Jamal, is that we've seen an increased militarization of the Law enforcement community here in the United States, which is a direct consequence of the collaboration that they've done with the Israeli military and police, the use of tactical techniques, the use of armored vehicles, you know tactical you know tactical gear that they wear, uh, the militarization of the police is a direct consequence of the collaboration with the Israelis, and you know we need to pay attention to this.
1: You've been listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco, 89.5 FM. Go to our website, arabtalkradio.com to catch up on what you missed. You can download this for free online and we'll see you next week. We'll see you next week.